Exactly when did President Trump learn of the breach of the Capitol? And what specific actions did he take to bring the rioting to an end? And when did he take them? Please be as detailed as possible. Mr. Van Der Veen. Uh, with the rush to bring this impeachment, there's been absolutely no investigation into that. Uh, and that's the problem uh, with this uh, entire proceeding. The House managers did zero investigation, and the American people deserve a lot better than coming in here with no evidence, hearsay on top of hearsay, on top of reports that are of hearsay. Due process is required here, and that was denied. It was undoubtedly the question most on the mind of many senators and a good chunk of the American public. When did the president learn about the riot taking place by his supporters on January 6th? And what exactly did he do about it? But when given the chance, Trump lawyer Michael Vanderveen ducked and never bothered to answer. It was the House's job to conduct an investigation and find out, he claimed. Never mind that Vanderveen could have asked his client. Never mind that the client, the former president, was offered due process, a chance to testify and explain his actions that day, and he chose not to do so. So what may have been the single most important issue hanging over the proceeding, what Trump did or did not do to protect his own vice president and the members of Congress under attack from a violent mob, may remain shrouded in mystery. But will that make any difference when the Senate votes on Saturday? We'll discuss with Yahoo News colleague John Ward and get the view from inside Trump country from veteran Ohio newspaper editor and columnist Gary Abernathy on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And we are joined by our colleague, uh, John Ward and Gary Abernathy. John, welcome back. And Gary, welcome for the first time to Skullduggery. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So we are coming to the end of uh, this uh, trial, the Senate trial, uh, and um, it looks like not a lot of uh, movement in where the Senate is. But John, let's start out with you. You've been you were inside the chamber today. You were watching the senators. Uh, we talked yesterday uh, about the prospect that we could get a number of Republican senators. We theorized it could get up to possibly 10 or 11 uh, after hearing the uh, House manager's case. Uh, what's your sense right now after the defense was given an opportunity to present its case? I don't think a whole lot's changed since yesterday. I mean, I think we got one clue about Senator Cassidy today. There were some notes that he was carrying around that were taken by a photographer, a news photographer, I think an AP photographer, um, kind of with a zoom lens through, a, I think through a doorway, or maybe it was in a hallway. Either way, it looked like a draft of a speech he would give tomorrow. Uh, before the vote. And it indicated that he would be arguing that the House managers have not connected the dots in the words that were on his paper between 
you know, Trump's rhetoric and the violence that took place, which I think would be sort of leaning back into a, a sort of legalistic definition of incitement, maybe. Um, but regardless, that was one indication about Cassidy, who was that sixth vote on the constitutional question, um, who joined the other five who are not a surprise. So outside of those six, I still think the big question mark is McConnell, right? Because where McConnell goes, uh, some number of other senators are likely uh, or possible to go. And we talked yesterday about how some of those senators might be older or retiring senators. And you've got to look at those who um, you know, have re-election uh, campaigns coming up in 22, those who are just re-elected and, or, or are going to be up in 24, and those who are retiring. So you know, you've got McConnell, you've got Burr, who's retiring. You've got Portman. We didn't mention him yesterday, or maybe you did. Uh, he's retiring. Toomey, he's already a part of that five. He's retiring. Uh, Shelby is retiring. Grassley, a lot of people expect him to retire. So Inhofe is up in 26. There's a number of other senators like that. And, you know, if there are going to be defections among Republicans, it's going to come from that group. You've seen very clearly the split between those senators who have been pretty quiet and the younger senators who are a lot of them are up in, in two years. Tim Scott, Marco Rubio. Yeah, you know, John, I got I got to say, I, I thought the Cassidy thing was a big deal because, you know, he voted with the other five Republicans who uh, that the proceeding was constitutional. It seemed to me that if that if the House managers had any chance of making inroads among Republicans, you know, you 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 they would need every vote that they can get. They had a potential one there in Cassidy. Then we see those notes that he had typed out. And uh, it's pretty clear he's not with the House managers on this. You take him away. Uh, it makes it really hard for me to see. I, you know, Mike, I just to jump in here. I, I kind of agree with you. On the other hand, Cassidy is known uh, for being quirky um, and someone I can't remember who was it that called him a weird dude. So I think like banking on Cassidy, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. If we're talking about getting to 17, yes. But if we're talking about defections, I don't think he's a bellwether. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, John mentioned Portman. Gary, you, as I understand it, used to work for Portman. So um, give us yeah. your insight as to how he'll go and also what you made of the um, proceeding today. Sure. Again, thanks for having me. Um I worked for Portman during his first year in the Senate, so back in 2000 and uh, what was that, 11? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a great guy, an honorable man, as any of you who have had any experience with him, I think that's widely um, uh, widely regarded as such. I actually went and, and interviewed him about a year and a half ago for a post column I was doing. I wanted to talk to him about his whole dynamic with Trump because knowing Portman as I did, you know, he and Trump aren't cut from the same cloth. I mean, I, I know that Rob Portman didn't enjoy spending every day having to answer for every tweet that Trump sent and and so on. But, but uh, you know, one thing that he just kept coming back to was, look, you know, in Washington, this was his quote. He said, in Washington, everybody's consumed with Donald Trump's tweets. What I know is that I've had about, I forget what it was, 70 or 80 bills that he has signed into law that he works with me on, that if I need him to make a call uh, on the opioid issue in Ohio that I'm trying to get bills passed on, the guy picks up the phone and makes a call. 
you know, that was, he said, I, I have a relationship with him where I can call him and ask him for things. So it may be a little warmer, frankly, than I thought, or than a lot of people understood. And then just a couple of days ago, I saw him do an interview where he talked about the fact that, look, if we, if we vote to disqualify him from running again, that's just going to alienate all of his 73, 74 million people that voted for him. It's going to cause more division in this country, not heal anything. So I think, I think Mike, that's where he's at. I'm going to be really that, surprised if he comes down any other way. That really does, Gary, I think, raise a profound question, which is how do you hold uh, Donald Trump accountable without doing more damage. And it's why we talked, yeah. I think, yesterday on this podcast about you know, the importance of a 9-11 style commission to really investigate everything that happened, and including, the, obviously, Donald Trump's involvement in it. And that's one point that you know, the defense made today uh, was, look, you're, you're, you're saying that you're blaming Donald Trump for causing this riot, but Nancy Pelosi is saying we need a 9-11 style commission to find out what caused this riot? They, I thought that, that was, was a, a fair point. They, I think they scored a point there. I wanted to ask, well, both of you, but starting with John, just um, since you were in the chamber watching all day long, just your sense of the the effectiveness of the defense's case. They were trashed the first time around, particularly Bruce Castor for being almost comically bad. The guy who was up there for the most part, uh, Michael Vanderveen, was clearly more effective. I mean, it struck me that the defense was almost Trumpian, you know, over the top at some points. It was heavy handed. It was crude in some ways, not terribly dignified. But I think it was pretty effective because, frankly, the jurors that they were trying to reach largely are Trump supporters. If they get enough of those jurors, then they win. But, John, tell us what you think. And then, Gary, I will ask you the same question. Yeah. And before I do that, I mean, I would say to the point that Gary made about Pelosi, I was I was talking to um, Sarah Isger, who was uh, Jeff Sessions spokesperson at Justice. Um, She thought that Pelosi, you know, Pelosi's political interests ahead of 2022 are served better by having Trump be acquitted because it actually energizes uh, their base. Um, But, you know, to your point about um, the audience, I guess, for Trump's lawyers, you said that they were trying to reach Trump supporters. I think you were talking about the senators, but you know they were also speaking directly to Trump supporters who are voters. And I would say, you know, of the two hours that they spent in that first two-hour block, I would say ninety minutes of it <clears throat> was actually just mostly aimed at Trump voters and, and John and Trump himself, who they knew was and watching himself. Well, and much I, more pugnacious, aggressive, in your face. That was that was a and play in, for yeah. Trump, the client. And in that respect, it just really brought echoes of the Kavanaugh hearings, because in the Kavanaugh hearings, if I'm getting my order right, uh, Kavanaugh had had one had one appearance where he was sort of normal. And then he came back and uh, everybody was shocked at how ferocious he was. It was kind of out of character. For him and for uh, a Supreme Court justice hearing, and today was the same thing. You had Castor. Schoen was pretty was pretty strong um, and and uh, partisan on on Tuesday, but Castor kind of set the tone and was really kind of languid. And um, and today, you know, clearly the plan was just to come out attacking 
Um, and that first 90 minutes was really based, was really aimed at like just sort of serving up these videos that can be replayed over and over on Fox News. And, and, and that is not only a, an effort to persuade the Trump voter or the Trump leaning senator. It's also sort of this mechanism to say, you know, get in line because this is our this is these are our talking points, and uh, this is what you're going to get hit over the, the head. Those with. were Fox videos. I mean, I've seen almost all of them on Hannity over the last uh, couple of weeks. I mean, I think they just compiled a bunch of uh, Fox videos and and played them over and over again. We must have seen the same stuff, um, you know, like three or four times. Uh, Gary, your uh, your sense? Well, I thought that they were also effective in showing. And, and and this was predictable, but in showing, you know, what what the House managers didn't show us, where they cut the tape off and then let the tape of Trump keep playing and show us how he finished a thought or maybe actually came around to a different point than the House managers wanted people to, to be left with a couple of days ago. I just thought they did a really good job of of uh, rebutting that. And to John's point, to your to all of your point, really. Yes, this was the defense Trump wanted. I mean, this is what his third set of lawyers going into uh, uh, to represent him at, at impeachment because maybe the first set said, "Hey, we're not going to go that way." Well, he got some lawyers willing to come in and present the kind of defense Donald Trump wanted uh, to present, which is very bombastic, which is show these videos, which is the whataboutism, which is the the riots in other cities, the 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 the, the outrageous call to action by Maxine Waters and everybody else who who they can play and then show violence. That's classic Trump. So so that's what I saw him getting. And frankly, I think it was effective because, as we know, impeachment is much more of a political procedure than it is a courtroom type of trial where evidence matters less and emotions matter more. And what the senators are hearing from back home matters a lot more than maybe Weighing the evidence matters. And, and that's why it's almost threat is the wrong word, but it's a way of threatening these senators. To remind hey, them. Hey, look at what is going to be running on a loop in your local TV stations if you vote the wrong way. That's what's going on there. So no doubt about so it. So, Gary, um, you have you, you were a Trump supporter. You endorsed him yeah. in 2016. You wrote regular columns for the Washington Post, uh, sympathetic yes. to the president. But you also wrote that you found his actions on January 6th indefensible. And I want to I want to I would remind you um, long before January 6th. I I said I, w- I thought his refusal to concede the election was indefensible. The day that the election was called for Biden officially, when the AP called it and maybe CNN, whoever else made it finally official, I think it was on a Saturday. I had a column ready to go that went up within two hours saying the president needs to start packing. It's over. Give it up. Let it go. And if you don't, you deserve to go down in history uh, in shame. And this was a month before January 6th happened. So January 6th was just because I'm a, just a huge believer in handing over democracy the right way, peacefully, the way we demonstrate to the world as it should be. And I'm so angry at Trump for not inviting the Bidens to the White House, for not standing there while Biden gets sworn in, for not getting on Marine One with a salute 
And my gosh, his standing, it wouldn't be any better with people who have always hated him, but it would be pretty darn good with the country overall. And he would be in a position to come back. So what I'm saying is now he himself has, has, has uh, disqualified himself from future office. We shouldn't have to do it legally. And I'm, I believe, and again, I'm glad Donald Trump was president. I'm glad he spent four years as president. I'd much rather had him than Hillary Clinton, but he never deserves a chance to be there again. And, uh, and, and, and the final point is people will come to this on their own. Trump supporters, except for the real hardcore, maybe 10% that'll be left, they'll come to this on their own as, as the next few months go by. I really believe that. That's what Nikki Haley's banking on, by the right. way. Right, and, and we should get to that uh, in a second. We talk about where where this goes, where the Republican Party goes after all of this. But I just want to come back to the the impeachment for a second because listening to you, I'm wondering um, if you think that the House managers that that the Democrats in impeaching Trump made a strategic error by not going broader, that instead of focusing on this single article of impeachment that Trump sparked this insurrection, that they should have gone broader at the whole effort uh, to overturn an election and to pressure Republican officials, um, all of that. And, And nothing worse than demonizing a vice president who has done nothing but been so loyal to you, he's been the butt of jokes for how for how loyal he's been. Uh, you know, he's been willing to 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 sacrifice his. I mean, there weren't a lot of people lining up to be Donald Trump's vice president back in 2016. Pence said, I'll do it. He brought evangelicals with him before the evangelicals fell in love with Trump on their own. You know, Pence brought a lot of of, of anyway, I'm just really upset. Well, by the, and by the way, on, on Pence, um, you know, I I actually wondered whether Democrats didn't hit the Pence point hard enough today, uh, specifically you know, when when they're making the case that Donald Trump, even once he knew about the 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 breach and the uh, and and the violence, the escalating violence that was happening, continued to um, inflame the mob. And we learned yesterday uh, on Thursday that uh, Tommy Tuberville, the senator from Alabama, spoke to Donald Trump uh, at around two fifteen on January sixth and told him that the vice president had just been evacuated and he was about to be evacuated. And yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Tuberville, we don't know the exact time of the phone call with Tuberville, but we know it's about the time that the Senate is being evacuated because Tuberville's account was uh, account of his conversation with Trump is I said, Mr. President, they just took our vice president out. They're getting ready to drag me out of here. I got to go. The exact time of the conversation, as I said, is unknown, but Pence was pulled from the room by the Secret Service at 2.13 is when they pull Pence out, and senators are fully evacuated at 2.30. And it's at 2.24 that Trump tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution. So he's going after Mike Pence at the very moment yeah. and that's just that he's been told that Pence is being evacuated because of the mob. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that that it would have mattered. I'm just not a, a fan of of, uh, of impeaching him at that point. I'm pretty strict constructionist on this, whereas the penalty for impeachment is removal from office 
how do you remove a guy from office who doesn't hold the office? What office are we going to remove him from? I mean, I just, I know people call that the January exception and there's no January exception, but I'm sorry, maybe there kind of is a January exception because if somebody's on their way out, the biggest penalty for Trump is going to be the shame of history as we go on. Now, having said that, you know, we could do a whole nother show on, on, on me defending Trump on things where I think he deserves defending and on how he has been unfairly attacked, but nothing measures up to what he's done since the election in refusing to concede. Um, and that's where I, I just have to part ways. with. So him. how is this? I mean, look, those of us watching this and details like that, you know, a lot of us find just appalling, and I think many senators do. I mean, here is here sure. is grounds to believe that Trump is informed his own vice president is under threat. And instead of calling immediately to find out, to talk to Pence, to find out what's going on, he's tweeting something. He's, he's attacking him on Twitter. How is this playing? You come from Trump country. What I think you said, yeah. like seventy-five percent of the public. In- oh, in Trump country, it's totally Pence doesn't get a lot of sympathy. Pence doesn't have sympathy. No, but what about Trump's behavior in this? Where I'm at, where I live, Mike, they're they're behind Trump. They're behind Trump as strong as ever. You drive around the countryside, you still see the Trump signs are still in the yards. Okay. And the the banners are still flying. uh, So how do they process this, that the guy didn't even lift a finger for his own vice president? Trump's the victim of the big, bad media and the Democrats. They've just, they've just lined up with him. They've made their stand. And this is a point I've tried to make is to say, look, I think a lot of people who've supported Trump, they think, well, gee, we can't not support him now because we've 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 put so much into supporting him. And my point is, you don't have to apologize for supporting him to begin with. A lot of people want people to do that. A lot of people are saying there needs to be accountability, you know, and we need to have a reckoning and we need to, I don't know, blacklist, blackball people who ever supported Trump. That's not that's not very American. That's not very smart. But so I think a lot of people feel like, well, we have to defend Trump no matter what. I think slowly but surely they'll realize we can we can defend that we voted for him and we can like a lot what he did, but come to the point that what he's done the last two months is indefensible. But but if they are so solidly behind him in your neck of the woods, doesn't that cut against your argument that it, 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 it will that, that people are going to come around and he will be shamed and never be able to run again? It does today. I, I'm I, I really I think that it, yeah I know that's a good question, Mike. It, it certainly cuts against it today. If you were to drive around today, you'd say Abernathy doesn't know what he's talking about. But six months from now, a year from now, time has a way of changing things and we'll see. I mean, maybe it grows stronger. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Yeah, well, think- there, there, there is an argument, Gary, yeah. uh, and I want to bring uh, John into this that, and someone said it on this podcast, I think, I can't remember who, maybe Mike will, you know, if you want to deal with Trump, the thing to do is to stop paying attention to him, starve him of that oxygen yeah. uh, that he needs, which is which is, you know, the publicity and the attention and everyone talking about him and the tweets but you know, I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, if if they remain so loyal, and you know, seventy five million of them voted for him, you know, I think Nikki Haley uh, in that 
piece in 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 Politico that everyone's talking about today basically said that he's he he won't he won't win re-election that he's essentially finished in terms of holding elective office but right. is that true i mean could he could he be elected again well yeah he he could certainly win a republican primary again i mean that's we i think we'll all agree on that but you know here's an interesting uh, stat i heard uh, a couple of weeks ago or so and people were saying it they said gee 90% of the you talk about 75 million voting for him 90% of Republicans say they would vote for him again, even after January 6th. And they were saying it like, man, that's a strong support. But think about that. That's 10% of Republicans who say they wouldn't, who voted for him. But already, that's that's what, 70, I'm not a mathematician, I'm a writer. But that's, what's 10% of 75 million? 7, 70, 7 million, 10 million? 7.5 million. million. Right. right. <laughs> so that's already a pretty big chunk that he's lost. And that's in the first two or three weeks. So I think it's, you know, I look at it that way. My gosh, he would have lost this presidential race a lot worse if 10% of fewer Republicans had uh, had not voted for him last time. So that's that's a start. John, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's a lot to, to chew on here. I mean, I can certainly play out a scenario uh, where the psychology of the Republican electorate, you know, evolves in the direction Gary's talking about. But I know that if the Republican Party uh, acted collectively and said, we don't stand for this crap, that that would make it much more certain. I mean, sure, Trump could go off and try to start a third party. But if the Republican Party actually took a stand on principle here and said this crossed the line and, you know, like Gary said, we liked a lot of what he accomplished. But this this was a really dark day and he brought it about. Well, if they're not going to if they're going to acquit him. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. They're not. They're not going to do this, right? So there's no opportunity to actually uh, take that stand going forward. Yeah, and it's. I just to me, it's. Um, you know, I don't know how Gary would feel about this, but watching Trump take over the Republican Party in 2015 and 16, I just think back to that time. Most of the party uh, at every level did not want Trump to be the nominee. Um, you know, the elites certainly the elite didn't, certainly. and even in the primary. And that's where that's where we have to remind ourselves what parties are. They're grassroots organizations. They really are. I mean, they're they shouldn't be, I don't think, controlled from from the people at the top with pronouncements about here's what we stand for. They have to they listen to the people. Parties are a collection of people. That's why we have primaries. You know, I mean, I, I had I have great respect for people like George Will, who I've been reading for years too. Who I've has nothing for, but contempt for Donald nothing Trump? Nothing but contempt. But George actually wrote in 2016 that delegates to the Republican convention should forego their, forget how their states voted, and vote for someone besides Trump. And I thought, and again, George, I love you, but I thought that's the kind of attitude. That makes grassroots people think, yeah, the elites really don't care what we think. They just think if they don't like our decisions, they want to take it away from us. <laughs> George Will elite? No. <laughs> <laughs> I could just jump in here, though. I mean, if we're going to talk about the most Democratic outcome from a nominating process, then I think our nominating processes has have actually we're going to get kind of nerdy here. But I think they've tilted too far away from elite inputs, not to say elites should have all the control, but, you know, 70% of the grassroots voters- You need some gatekeepers. To Gary's point, 70% of the grassroots voters in most of the early primary states voted for someone other 
than Trump. And so he was able to win the primary with 30% because to the same point I'm making today, the Republican Party could not act collectively. That has been the problem for the last five years, and it's the problem today. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But if you don't have a party that can act collectively, you have a party that cannot sustain a coherent set of principles and ideology, which is where we are. Well, we could get into the topic of is Trumpism an ideology, and I think it is. And I've I've made the point in a couple of recent columns, Trumpism, I think, will survive. Define Trumpism. Which is... Define Trumpism. It's border. It's 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 cra- it's cracking down on the borders. It's being tougher on our adversaries. I mean, think about Trump taking the Republican Party from being the free trade party to basically the isolationist party. It's the whole America first. I'm not trying to convince anybody here of it. It's a great it's a great you know platform. I'm just saying it's a real platform that's not just about the cult of Trump. It's a real set of beliefs, and that's why you see people like Ted Cruz. And Josh Hawley and others trying so hard to play to it because they know that core is out there to be grabbed. People who want Trumpism. And if you had Trumpism without the distraction of Trump, um, when I think of the things Trump didn't get accomplished because of his own personality, because, you know, of the of the distractions he caused, it just drives me nuts. So uh, I think Trumpism is a real thing. And I think Trumpism will be the Republican Party. But without Trump. I think the question is just to jump in real quick on it. I think the question is no doubt there's there's definitely elements of, of Trumpism that are policy based. But the question I don't know the answer to is how many of the people who voted for Trump were drawn less by that and more by the circus, the personality, the cult of personality about him. That's a good question. Well also the cultural aspects of it and including the, the nativism um, and yes, I think, I think racial fears are a huge part of this. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, it's a good question. All right. So, um, to, um, uh, to wrap up here, the, the ambivalence that folks like me had about, um, impeachment, um, was that, uh, if he is not convicted and disqualified and that looks like the outcome and it is always looked like the outcome. It would only embolden Trump and his supporters and make it more likely that he will remain a part of our political life, um, which is the exact opposite of the goal of the House managers. So this becomes the definition of something that's counterproductive. What is your, assuming that Trump is acquitted on Saturday, as we now expect, Gary, how will that play and um, what will be the response of people of the Trump folks in your neck of the woods? Well, I think you're right, Mike. I think it makes him a martyr. It makes him a hero, not a martyr. A martyr would be if he was convicted more or less, but it makes him a hero who once again has, you know, overcome the establishment and who lives to fight another day. But I, I tell you, I think that with this impeachment and with the first impeachment, in Trump country, I guarantee you they're not glued to their TV sets today watching this or haven't been all week. They just see it as such more background noise, more of the continuation of they've been trying to get Trump for four years, Russia, 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 impeachment, impeachment, Ukraine, now this. I mean, that's really how they look at it. So it'll just be like shrugging their stores. Yeah, 
he, you know, he beat it again. They can't get him and kind of chuckle about it. Right. Just by the way, really quickly on that point, uh, Eric, our producer, reminded me that it was John Bolton on this podcast who made the point about the media ought to just stop paying attention to Trump. That's his oxygen. Right. Right. Is, is publicity. Let's so see if they can do it. I, I don't yeah. want to say we all should have listened to John Bolton, but um, <laughs> um, all right, uh, John, uh, uh, wrapping up here, uh, go out on a limb. What's the vote going to be tomorrow? Before I get to that, uh, I, I do think, you know, if if we look down the pike the next two years, I do think what McConnell does tomorrow is, is a big deal. Because if he votes to convict, which let's put that at maybe 25% chance, right? I don't know. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. But if he were to convict, that would set up a, a pretty big battle inside the party around the 22 midterms. And um, that battle will be there no matter what. The only question is how confrontational is it? You know, there's going to be Trumpy people running for some of these seats, maybe running, maybe mounting primary challenges. Um, but I think the fact that like a lot of these senators are going to vote for Trump is going to allow them to probably avoid some of these primary challenges. So anyway, there's just a, an interesting, there's going to be a lot All right, of, what's the vote tomorrow? A lot of, a lot of things to consider about the next two years. I'm going to continue to filibuster like Vanderbeer. No, um, no, come on. You gotta, <laughs> <laughs> we can't let you go will, until you go will, out on a limb. I will say um, my, my, my realist self says five vote, five Republicans vote to convict. And uh, you know, my idealist self says 10. All right. Five. Gary, you want to take a gander at that? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm kidding you, but I think I think five is going to be. Yeah, the yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yesterday I would have said yeah. ten. Uh, now I'm thinking five. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, more likely five. Uh, possibly yeah, who's six. the six? Well, if it's McConnell, then it's going to be more than six. Right. Uh, I don't know whether, in terms of Cassidy, whether whether that. Uh, well, no, that, he's pretty clear from his notes. He said the House failed to connect the dots. Yeah, so all right. We we know where he's going. So, so I don't know. He's There's gone. Thune, but that yeah. seems unlikely. All that right, I'm sticking unlikely. with five. All right. Okay. Thune is up in 22. Yeah. All right. Makes it less likely. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we will all know the answer to this uh, within 24 hours. Um, And um, Gary, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, the views in uh, Trump, Trump country will be of continuing interest to skullduggery listeners. So, um, okay. We'll we'll be back to you. That'd be great. Thank you. It's been, it's been a lot of fun being on with all of you. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. All right. 